My name is Rich Johnston, and I make Bleeding Cool. Welcome to I Made This from Do Anything Media, a show about passionate people executing their big ideas in realistic ways you can learn from to make your own big idea a reality. I'm Bill Meeks, and before we get started, I just wanted to thank everybody for joining us for our Mega Pack premiere week last week with five super duper awesome creative interviews. Moving forward for now, we're going to be releasing one episode per week, usually on Wednesdays. Now today, I'm talking with Rich Johnston from BleedingCool.com. Rich has been reporting on comic book rumors since around 1994. Before his current gig at Bleeding Cool, he wrote the comic book gossip column Lying in the Gutters for Comic Book Resources, which is where I discovered it. I'll be talking to Rich today about his entertainment and comic book news website, BleedingCool.com a site known for breaking comic book news stories before DC Comics or Marvel Comics ever puts out a press release. Bleeding Cool also covers other stuff, like TV and movies and video games and whatnot. It's a site I check out pretty much every day. Way, way back in the day, I reported on Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia for Bleeding Cool for a couple years. Anyway, it's a big site with a bit of a reputation, and we'll get into the controversy and all of that. I think you'll like this one, even if you're not a big fan of comic book and movie news. And like I said, in this episode, we really dig in on the reputation Bleeding Cool has among the comic book industry and Rich's feelings on it. Okay, I made this for you. Take a listen. So let's see here, Rich. You have been writing about you know the comic book industry in particular and entertainment in general for a lot, a lot of years. I believe you got your start on Usenet. Why don't you tell people what Usenet is? Sure. Well, before apps, before websites even existed, there was still the internet and there were message boards, news groups, specifically the Usenet news groups were fairly popular and widespread. When I went to university in about 1992, 1993, I discovered this thing called the internet, which no one knew about at the time. And I <laughs> But it was, everyone was using it for looking up documents and getting documents from various libraries around the world, that kind of thing. And I used it to find uh, comic book message boards. And Usenet had message boards for everything, well, pretty much. And there were a small comic book community there, including one or two comic book professionals. People like Peter David were active there at the time. And so I thought, oh, this sounds fun. I'll join in and, you know, <laughs> try and make a name for myself. And at the time, I'd been thinking, because... Uh, Comics didn't have a gossip column. I was interested in lots of media, and every single industry, certainly in Britain at least, whether from from media to politics to carpentry to second-hand car salesmen, um, (laughs) they all had kind of like trade magazines with kind of gossip columns about the industry. And I thought, well, I could start something like that up. And I I used to find little bits and pieces on the internet, and I used to also steal stuff (laughs) outright from Comics International, a, a British comic book magazine that wasn't really read dates and so i used to just nick a few things and then put a few things together and then start things to come through and i started to write a little kind of a gossip column and call it at the time i think it was either something like rich's revelations or rich's rumors <laughs> i was young i wanted to put my name in the title you had to build that cred yeah and then it, it just started becoming a regular thing and some people liked it and some people didn't mm-hmm. um thankfully more people liked it than, than didn't 
And that magazine that I used to initially steal stuff from, um, they started stealing stuff from me, which was great. <laughs> but we cut, that was uh, one of my dead skin, and uh, we came to an arrangement, and basically I would write bits and pieces for Comics International based on what I was writing online. And that's I started to leave university and started to go to work, and the only place you could get online were internet cafes or at work. So I generally worked at companies that had online access which was handy you weren't worried about salary you just wanted to make sure you had that (laughs) online access i was an advertising radio copywriter for metro fm in newcastle and they had an online access and i found this was true of uh, lots of advertising agencies so i thought right advertising for me because i can do advertising i'm good at that and i can get access onto this thing called the internet and before you knew it suddenly you could start to get it in your home as well which uh, was in the UK till about more mid late 90s yeah I'd say that's pretty similar to what America was too like I remember getting online for the first time in like 95 96 something like that yeah I was already there mate so you know I was waiting for you <laughs> but the thing that's about the time we started getting websites I think that's about the time when Mozilla had Netscape, that feels about right, right about then, um, or whatever it was before then. And so there was starting to have a bit more of a structure to what the internet was, or it could be. I was, I'd was i been self-publishing comic books. I was also using the the internet to publicize my comics before anybody else really was. <laughs> like little ash cans or something like that? or I actually self-published magazines. Thankfully, I met this guy, uh, comics, I met this guy called um, Mike Meyer, uh, no relation, in the States. And we kind of set up something called Twist and Shout Comics. And so I started publishing early comic books of mine, a series called Dirtbag, uh, a more successful series called The X-Flies, which, thank God, the Diamond once ordered thinking it was The X-Files because they put a typo on the thing. I was going to say that almost sounds like a satirical X-Files thing. It was a bit, but with flies, (laughs) insect-based. It's a bit of an anthology magazine, lots of different kind of cartoon tips for me and a few friends. And then one issue diamond listed it in their order catalog as x files mm-hmm. and it was ordered as x files and so we got thirty thousand orders which was very nice oh wow uh, yeah and then obviously diamond had to eat them all because it was their mistake because we printed them <laughs> we sent them off and we went hang on this is not what we oh i see what we did here it's too late diamond sorry diamond sorry about that but that did help fund me flying off to uh, san diego comic-con for about three or four years so thanks for that that's kind of where the money went <laughs> but yeah so i was using it so I was using the column to like publicise my work, but then it started to get a bit more uh, popular and people started to want it. So first of all, we made a jump to a Twist and Shout Comics website for it, at which point I think it was then called Rich's Rumours. Mm-hmm. And then a website made an offer, Silver Bullet Comic Books. They said, do that, but do it for us. And that became All the Rage, which is basically the same thing. Another website wanted it. So actually, probably came before that was something called The Gutter Press, which was from a website called Next Planet Over. And this is going back to the, the really geekiest times when <laughs> the first geek companies thought, we can make money off the internet. We'll just put a website and everyone will go there and it'll be great. And then they, they went bankrupt eventually, I think. Um, <laughs> it was My editor for that was uh, Eric Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was my editor on uh, the Gutter Press until I think about four weeks in when I think a few comic book professionals, possibly Kurt Busiek and Mark, Wade, I couldn't swear to it, said, we'll boycott you if you keep employing Rich Johnston, because I did oh, wow. have a bit of a reputation back then, I have to say, because I was the gossip columnist, and I would run stories that weren't ready for press releases yet. And Generally, people who are featured in gossip columns aren't too big of a fan of gossip columns. Sometimes it's changed over the years, but it's true. Not not everyone uh, has quite has that gene, should we put it that way. <laughs> um, so, so, yes, then it went to Ursula Bullock Comic Books, so it became all the rage for a while. But then I kind of liked the idea of getting paid for what I was doing. Naturally. So that's when CBR 
Comic Book Resources said, we'll basically pay for your comics every week, pretty much. And I was working in advertising at the time, so I was doing quite well. Didn't actually need it um, to survive on. And then about 10 years ago, I suddenly did need it to survive on because that's when the uh, the big nasty recession came along and mm. all the advertising agencies in London and around fired all their writers overnight. Oh, wow. And there was nothing. It was insane. William Christensen of Avatar Press, they published one of my comic books a couple of years earlier. Um, he was saying, that thing you do every weekend that everyone seems to read that I don't really understand, why don't you come and do it for me? But like, you know, four times a day. <laughs> and that's what Bleeding Call was. It was me writing about four times a day. Initially, it's like a part-time thing. And he was basically paying my mortgage, which was really useful at the time because I just had a second kid and suddenly I couldn't get any work and it was looking quite grim. That then has expanded. I was doing some part-time advertising work at the time. That's... No time for that these days. <laughs> um, Bleeding Call started to take on other people. Um, it wasn't just the Rich Johnston show. So we had other writers like uh, Warren Ellis was writing for a while, um, Cy Spurrier. And then we started to get more people writing films, Brendan Connolly um, and his, his friends, and then games and then TV. And now we've got a huge host of people, um, even the likes of Jude Terror, who is well-named. Um, yeah, and you, you've had a lot of stringers, too. Like, full disclosure, I, I reported on Dragon Con for Bleeding Cool for a number of years. Yeah. Well, we, we, we always love people going to the shows to write for Bleeding Cool. That was always a good thing, because I couldn't get to all the shows, certainly, certainly especially not living in the UK. But lots of people could, and we could get them into, into things and events and shows and the like. And it was um, and it was fun. People seemed to enjoy it. And, they, and now quite a few of them have become, like, full-time writers for Bleeding Cool. From my perspective, going out and covering something for Bleeding Cool, it was so nice because, you know, I was local to Atlanta where Dragon Con took place. And so it was, you know, just hop in the car and go down there. And I got free admission because I was there for press. And then I got to go and talk to like Burt Ward and Adam West and everybody. It was a great time. Of course, uh, some people, I was going to say mention no names, but no, let's mention Donny Cates, who was a, um, a stringer for Bleeding Cool. He used to, he was writing from C2E2 mm-hmm. Bleeding Cool. So he got free access. And then he basically, what he did was he, I think he wrote about one or two articles and then just spent the entire show just trying to get work off comic book publishers. Oh, wow. I had to fire him. So yeah, I had to fire Donny Cates. But you know, he hasn't totally held it against me, which is very kind of him. <laughs> Again, it, it, Bleeding Cool has opened doors for all sorts of people over the years, which is always good to hear. Oh, yeah. The stuff I did for Bleeding Cool was sort of very informative for me as a presenter and a a host. It was before, you know, I got into podcasting and everything. So it really gave me a good chance to kind of get out there and interact with people and talk to them and have a really bad interview with Billy West from Futurama. Get out. In a world where people walk in your room when you're being interviewed. Okay, I, th- I think that's a good time to start as any. It's okay for the background yeah, yeah. noise. Don't worry I'm, about that. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm Bill Meeks. I'm here at DragonCon 2012, and I'm here with Billy West. Uh, you might know him as the voice of Ren, Stimpy, Fry, Zoidberg from Futurama. I believe uh, you're an Eminem or two. Wait, I'm going to yell at somebody. Hey, Twinkle Toes, could you shut that door? Don't worry about it. I think because part because when I we got to when I got to Dragon Con, the press people told me, you know, if you have an interview set up with a celebrity, maybe go around uh, in the room where they're doing autographs and just be like, hey, I'm Bill from Bleeding Cool, and I'm going to be interviewing you tomorrow. Nice to meet you. And so I went to do that with Billy West, and he just got like really down and dour. I got the impression that maybe Bleeding Cool had done a story about a friend of his or something that he wasn't too fond of. It's possible. <laughs> not not everyone. It's it's not always, uh, you know, 
the most positive name to drop. But it's useful. Yeah, yeah. Some people like it. Some people are scared of it. I'll take either. Either will do me. (laughs) As, As long as they know it, that's the important part, right? Indeed, indeed. Well, you know what? Let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit because, you know, there are these controversies and, you know, Bleeding Cool gets name checked at panels at San Diego, uh, you know, people speaking disparagingly online. Well, well, disparagingly, I mean, you know, it, it depends. I mean, you get, again, it's like one man's ceiling is another man's floor. I think it was Tom, Tom uh, Brevoort was, was complaining when we were running this stuff about Isaac Perlmutter cancelling the Fantastic Four comics and all this. Mm-hmm. And he was going, honestly, would anyone even know about any of this if it wasn't for some website stirring it all up? And I was thinking, no, maybe people wouldn't know about it unless it was for this a certain website stirring it up. <laughs> Absolutely. But you, so, you know, he might, he might say it's a disparaging term, but I thought, fantastic. So I put that on a T-shirt. Nice. Yeah. And, and occasionally, yeah, you'll hear most people will say it in a certain way. Oh, it'll be, if I say it on here, it'll be on bleeding cool in seconds. <laughs> and they're saying that as if it's a bad thing. And I'm going, no, that, I'll, yeah, again, I'll, I'll take it. So, <laughs> that, that, so some people's disparaging reputation can actually be very, very useful. Depends what it is. Oh, yeah. And, and I have seen, you know, I frequent, you know, different social news sites like Reddit and stuff. And I'll see you, like, jump into the comments if someone speaks ill of bleeding cool to kind of defend yourself. Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll like to join in. I mean, I I like, if there's a specific bit of incorrect piece of information that's incorrect, I'd like to maybe just correct that bit. If someone says, they're a terrible website, they're off, they're scum of the earth, and they don't even pay their uh, their contributors, I'll pop in and say, no, we do pay our contributors. I'll leave the rest. You know, that, that that's opinion. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, it's a very specific point of fact. I might have a go at um, just, just, just adding to it, you know. Have you ever heard any bit of criticism about Bleeding Cool that you were like, okay, wait a second, no, I think you have a point here? Yeah. Oh, lots of times. Um, look, uh, specifically, when you're writing, a lot of the time you've, you've got blinkered visions. You're doing it from one person's perspective. Sometimes it's really, really useful to see things from another perspective that maybe you didn't have before. So absolutely, I've gone back and changed stuff or removed stuff simply because I've seen the, a reaction against someone that, oh, no, that's absolutely valid. And I had no idea about that when I was writing it here. How, how quickly can I change things or try and make things right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's something I'll always do. So, you know, let's go back to, you know, the first couple of years of Bleeding Cool a little bit. Did you say it was Avatar? Avatar Press, start, they, they own Bleeding Cool, they started Bleeding Cool, they continue to own Bleeding Cool, and they continue to pay me every month. <laughs> so, so did they handle a lot of the logistics, like actually getting the website set up, figuring out what the sections would be, all that stuff? Oh, oh I have no idea how to do <laughs> anything like that. I thankfully have a WordPress um, thing. Uh, that, that's all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not that great at that either. <laughs> yeah, actually setting up a website now. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's not my uh, skill base. Can we, shall we say? Yeah. So they do all of that. And they have people who do that. And they hire people to do that. And they do it themselves. And that must be so nice because I have to do all that shit myself. <laughs> no, either. Yeah. Either get someone to hide to, to do the, all, the, all the fun stuff or hire someone else to do all the terrible stuff. One <laughs> of the two. I don't know. But yeah, I, um, so every now and then things happen and the site goes down and I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. I ask, is everything okay? And they go, no, this is all happening. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about using various acronyms and initials. And no, it's not, it's, it's clearly not my uh, skill set. And I have tried, but no. Thankfully, some of the people who work for Bleeding Cool do know a bit more than I do, which is very handy. Let's go ahead and get into that. Uh, you know, the people who do work for Bleeding Cool. Uh, you obviously have a team there who helps you out. Yep. Who are the key people at uh, Bleeding Cool besides yourself? Okay, well, the editor-in-chief is Caitlin Booth, absolutely, who's someone who came to Bleeding Cool after writing for Bleeding Cool at, at conventions and shows. And she she's absolutely fantastic. She gets everyone working in the right direction. Um, she is, she's the kind of person who will tell me not to write something, and she does. <laughs> 
She's very important. Um, I mean, William Christensen own, uh, and Mark Seifert are the owners of uh, Avatar Press, and they're very uh, involved. Mark, especially on the day-to-day, um, running the site and working with uh, writers and contributors. Uh, in the comic side, we've got uh, Jude Terror, who is a relatively recent addition to the site. He, we stole him from uh, The Outhouse, which was basically an even more scurrilous <laughs> website than Bleeding Cool. And, and he used to say terrible things about me. And basically, Avatar Press gave him a deal. So, hey, come and write all that stuff for us. And you can still be as mean to it as if you want. <laughs> I'm going, what? Really? <laughs> okay. No, but again, it's like we, we hopefully we compliment each other. I, I tell you this. There's certain people who I used to be the bane of their existence. And now I look absolutely glorious <laughs> in comparison to the uh, Snyder Brony baiting uh, Jude Terror. So he serves multiple purposes for you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then we've got people like um, Ray Fluke over on television. And we've got uh, Gavin over in games. I mean, there's, there's, there's more kind of people can I come through mm-hmm. uh, all the time. But everyone's got kind of like a section that they kind of work and run. Jeremy um, is turning for collectibles. I got some messages from him today, and he's a great writer, that kind of thing. But Ethan, they've got all a bunch of other writers as well who are all kind of contributing. Some of them who might do one or two pieces a week, some of them will do one or two pieces a day. And, and we're growing. Uh, we're, we're hiring more, more people. I've just had a very exciting conversation with someone who would be, if this person came to Bleeding Cool, it would be a news story. So, um, oh, wow. So Britney Spears, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I mean, but she has an awful, an awful lot to say about early 90s, 1980s Transformers comics, I think. So uh, yeah. maybe we, she definitely deserves to have a column about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, not Britney Spears, not yet. Yeah. But, you know, if she's, if she's willing, if she's available, yeah, we'll, I'd talk. You know, you have all these people doing all this stuff. How, how, do, how does that get approached logistically? Like, is it just a bunch of emails back and forth? Do you use a tool like Slack? Slack? I was going to Slack, sir. A very, very busy Slack split up into all these mini calls. Hey, okay, do you want, I'll have a look at it right now. You can't see this because you're not allowed. Yeah. But I'll be able to look. Okay, so we've got tons of different there's stuff. that I Okay, there's nothing specifically tagged in me, into me right this second, which is good. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I've had to do it. But if I pop into the general section, which is the... General thing. I have a quick look here. This is you see. I'm doing it right now. So uh, yeah, people are talking about various media things. Oh, the big uh, Wolverine story because Jude Terror did a great story about how the um, the X Men fandom believes that Wolverine has two penises. Oh wow! He's been finding evidence for that in the new uh, Wolverine logo that's been released, and that has been very very silly article. That's taking healing factor to a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah, I see. I see. Uh, there you go. I would never have written that story. <laughs> Jude would never have written any other story. So, yeah, we do kind of like have different um, spaces mm-hmm. and we work around that. There are the multiple penis spaces and then there, there are your spaces. Yeah. Exactly. You see, now I've been saying that, but I'm not entirely immune. I mean, I did, when the uh, House of X comics started coming out towards the end, I did write something about how um, Gene, uh, Logan, and Scott were um, uh, the first superhero uh, throuple <laughs> um, based on the various diagrams of their living arrangements that Jonathan Hickman had released. And that was quite fun. I mean, you see, that, that, that's kind of my level. I'll go to that level, and then, June, then Jude will go further and go, yeah, yeah, no, that means Wolverine's got two dicks. Okay, fine, <laughs> fine. You can do that bit over there. Back to the Dragon Con days, too. Wasn't there, like, right before oh, Dragon Con? I, I'll, I'll leave it a little genteel here. Draining your X at Dragon Con, uh, and we'll just leave it at that. No, the drag. Well, the Dragon. Con, I mean, these are the days when Craigslist used to have all those great personal adverts, which they don't anymore. Mm-hmm. And and Dragon Con did have a bit of a reputation as a bit of a meat market, I guess is the colloquial phrase. And um, I used to go through the Dragon Con um, personals listings, and <laughs> blimey, 
the stuff that would get posted, the photos that would get posted. So I used to kind of compile some of the best of those uh-huh. and cover up anything um, to an audio with, with pictures of dragons. <laughs> so you've got lots of, lots of men showing off the size of their dragons. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to run them as a big list, and that was very popular. Yes. And I, and I would quote, you know, people like, dress up as Klingons. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, oh, we cosplay as a Klingon. I want people who are stormtroopers to cross the franchises, all this kind of stuff going on. Or just like, I'm going to Dragon Con. It's it's my big trip. I'm looking for a special dozen people to spend it with. Pretty much. Yes. And, 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 and the pictures to match. So generally, I always like the uh, naked Photos with, 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 but while they were still wearing the stormtrooper helmets, not entirely naked. <laughs> so you, you see, this, it's kind of like, yeah. I mean, I can see why that might appeal to, to a few people. Well, it was like stormtrooper helmets and socks. For some reason, they had to keep their socks yeah. on. And I have to say, some of the people at DragonCon they didn't really like this reputation that they had, but you know, they did have that reputation. So mm-hmm. I mean, and and I tell you this, no other show had Craigslist listings like the ones at DragonCon. <laughs> so I'm sorry, it was totally utterly deserved. I, I did a few things for San Diego and the like, but it was nothing compared to DragonCon. As someone who's been on the ground there like four or five times, it yeah, it, <laughs> it is. there is that mode. There, there's like, you know, down on the main floor and you're like, oh, look, there's a really cool Doctor Who costume and this, that and the other. You go up those elevators, you go to a room party. Holy crap. <laughs> Like, there's a new use for that for that long scarf. You find out why it has to be that long suddenly. Yeah, and jelly babies—they should really not go there. They just shouldn't. I mean, that—that—that's not how they're designed for. <laughs> so let's go back again to you know the early days of bleeding cool. What was sort of the biggest challenge in trying to figure out what it was going to be and getting it up online and everything for you? Well, for me, um, oh, get, well, the, the server going down. It took a while, I think, for Avatar to realize how popular certain stories could be. Mm-hmm. And so every now and then we have a big story. Ever goes, <laughs> everything comes down. Oh, dear. So occasionally those would happen. But they've, they've been solved um, these days, I think. But, you know, again, there were earlier versions of interfaces, like workplace interfaces aren't quite as easy as they are now. Yeah. Um, I do remember at one point writing a story on a phone before smartphones were a thing uh, running across some field about in the, in the, about two in the night because I had to make some change and, and I could find I could do it on this little phone <laughs> and it took far too long it was ridiculous um, absolutely ridiculous it's so much easier these days um, iPads TV, uh, computers and phones I, I could do anything and everything on any device I have to hand which is very handy so it's more to do with uh, yeah the just technology hadn't quite catched, caught up with what blogging was at the time. So when when you started it up, uh, did did you bring a big audience over from like Lion in the Gutters and stuff like that from comic book resources? Yes, Jonah would not give me a link. Jonah at CBR, I could not get a link. The last column was going to do a, like an interview with him. We talk about stuff and what I was planning to do, and he just took any mention of Bleeding Call and any link straight out of that 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 piece. Which considering that he actually did quite well out of when he got the column, mm-hmm. which was originally at Silver Wallet Comics. I did a very nice big piece saying where I'd be, and he got a massive big chunk of traffic when um, when, when when that happened. Yeah. So uh, when the boots on the other foot, suddenly, no. <laughs> but I, I, I can't speak too badly of him. He's now uh, one of the uh, head uh, DC marketing people. He's just uh, lined up there. So um, Yeah, I saw that. No, no, all is forgiven. Um, and I hope you, you can forgive me for everything as well. All good. Uh, I'm, sure we, I'm sure we've done terrible things to each other over the years since... But uh, how well was I? Um, we, we were talking about, you know, what what was your audience like to begin with? And obviously you weren't able to bring a lot of people over. From- okay. 
it well, it, but enough people had heard, and there was enough of a bump. So certainly there was a nice big chunk to start with. But it, with all these stuff, it's always down to the stories. And at the time, you didn't have a lot of recommendation stuff. I mean, Twitter, Facebook, that really wasn't happening. Um, there's no Reddit, mm-hmm. things like these. A lot of things you now think about as places where you find things out and you get directed towards. They weren't there, but you had you had news groups, you had message boards, and so I kind of jump onto those things and I talk about bleeding cool there. I got a bit of strong. It's got a bit of a reputation for it. <laughs> I know, I know, I did. So it's basically using other people's blogs. And so if you are a good story, get picked up by other people's blogs, and they'd send you back. And then you basically just become part of people's day. So they would spend the day when in the office just pressing function five to refresh. Again, mm. this is all um, all, all uh, desktop at this time. Yeah, everyone was just using desktops or all, all laptops. I have people telling me I've just been pressing function five for the last three hours, and you haven't updated. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, I was actually at my other job because I only this part time. So I was um, head writer at a radio studio somewhere in London while also doing bleeding cool and. Uh, yeah, the, the two must have overlapped a bit. I'm sure I wrote quite a lot of Bleeding Call while I really shouldn't have been. <laughs> but it was just about to keep the wolf in the door at that time. So, um, and then it, so it all kind of worked out. But yeah, those are kind of some of the earlier restrictions. It was quite hard to get stuff. But generally, it was pretty much what I've been writing for the last, kind of like, um, at that time, the last, I guess, the last tw- uh, 15 years at that point. So um, I just kind of spread it out rather than concentrating it all into one big piece that would go out every Monday morning. I just spread it out over the week and bring in other voices and bring in other things to do. So it wasn't just all about the gossip of the comics industry. I'd find other things to write about as well. Is your audience primarily British or American or is it like an even mix? Mostly American, but definitely British. Uh, the British audience bats above its weight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's, I mean, like if, if Britain is what a fifth of the audience of America, it's it makes, I don't know, maybe it's a sixth of the audience of Bleeding Cool, that kind of thing. I'm not quite sure on the actual details. But it, so it, I have to always be, be aware of the American audience. That's my main thing. And I certainly write to that time scale. I'll mostly be writing uh, during American uh, primetime hours, as it were. Um, although if they've got a very British story, that might run a bit earlier. What do you think is the biggest story Bleeding Cool has ever broken? Oh... All right, I'll go through a few and maybe you can tell me what you think. I think when we ran, who we had de- details of all the main characters in uh, Star Wars Force Awakens before everyone. That did very well, I know. That that was a massive, huge thing. We basically ran... So we, we, we didn't know they were called Ray or Finn or Poe then, but we knew what kind of characters they were going to be. So we ran a whole bunch of those. those that was good ones from the film side. From the comic side, I mean, all the big like DC events and stuff, they've always kind of come through on Bleeding Cool first. We're doing something called 5G at the moment, which I think will be big. Uh, a year ago, we, we broke the story that Batman was about to get his penis out and uh, <laughs> on, on panel, and that went everywhere. That was, that, I mean, that kind of took down huge entire imprints at DC Comics. So Yeah, I was going to say, I think eventually that penis went back into the tights, right? Absolutely. Um, so <laughs> that had to have one. But I, I mean, things, there are big stories that I don't think got many attention at the time. I think we only got a few thousand reads for when we broke the story that uh, Amazon was buying Comixology a few, about like a month before it happened. Now, for me, that was a massive story. Oh, yeah. Everyone seemed to, yeah, you know. No one seemed to care at the time, but I thought that was huge. And of course, since then, it's become huge. Certainly, ones have caused caused problems for people. I know when we ran the news that DC Comics was moving to Burbank before they told anyone at New York, kind of stuff. That oh, oh. that went that yeah, that was very interesting. And I got all lots of people condemning me for how dare I tell run the story before the DCPR 
company has done their job kind of stuff. Was it the the grunts at DC condemning you, or was it the management? Oh no, 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 no! It wasn't the grunts at DC. No, no, it was just um, people around the kind of place. Oh, okay. No, I was just reminded of that because um, because of the passing of um, Tom Spurgeon just the other day. It was a very sad mm-hmm. moment, and Tom used to give me some great um, words of encouragement over these days, and that was one that I always remember because. Um, when I was getting so much grief from so many people for running this story, he kind of sent me messages saying, yeah, you, 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 don't worry, mate, you, you, you're doing what a, what a reporter does. Mm-hmm. Kind of so coming from the comics reporter, as it were, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 things that were big, I mean, things like the New 52, that was a big thing. We didn't know that was what it was called at the time, but running that kind of stuff was good. Oh, uh, also big from the Marvel side, I think it had to be the, I mentioned before, the Ike Perlmutter stories about how he's, how he's involved in, uh, basically banning Fantastic Four and reducing X-Men titles at Marvel. Mm-hmm. That that ran and ran. There were so many different iterations of that. And that was I always really like the ones where people say, no, that can't be true. That absolutely can't be true. And then two years later, everyone knows it's true. <laughs> that was why we ran story after story, pointing out all the different details about how this was affecting the company and how these decisions were being made. And well, it was slated all over the place. And then about two years later, Jonathan Hickman, who was writer of the Fantastic Four at the time, comes out and goes, yeah, I mean, everyone knows that's true now, don't they? <laughs> stuff. It's kind of like, yeah, well, 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 we do. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine there, there's definitely a temptation there to, uh, when that happens, to, to, to put a big article out, we were right. Oh, 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 absolutely. Uh, temptation? I succumb every time. <laughs> there was a great one when we did a big story about how Marvel was cancelling the Inhumans movie. And... Because I got I got that was at New York Comic Con um, after someone a very uh, a person I can't mention but who who approached me at a bar and so I wrote this whole story and then it was contradicted by mate by the major comic book media bloggers at the time the um, people like Birth Movies, Movies and Deaths and all this kind of stuff who said no we've checked all our sources Rich Johnson is talking absolute nonsense none of it is true <laughs> you know it's kind of like well yeah and and then you know I have to wait a few years and then it all comes out and yeah so that's quite nice so there's a little bit of that and I well it was it was Nikki Fink who used to do a told used to do told you when she used to do it on a deadline mm-hmm. when she had would have the exact same kind of story that no one would believe and then a few months later she would repeat the same story with told you in the headline <laughs> and um, we did a, I think I, I can't remember the wording now but a very very long winded version of that mm-hmm. um, that was quite um, quite pointed we don't do it as much these days um, because um Maybe a bit more self-confident now. But back then, I was definitely trying, trying to fight for space and trying to fight against anyone who would say that what I was writing was nonsense when it wasn't. When it wasn't. So those are the ones that I kind of look back on. I think yeah, those are quite big, but they were only big, I think, because everyone said they were they were wrong, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they proved right a few years a few years later. Those were those are those ones that will stick in the mind, I guess. You know, you were talking a minute ago about you know uh, creators uh, that you've had a friendly relationship with. What benefit has that given Bleeding Cool? Like, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying, hey, who gave you exclusives on stuff, but <laughs> what positives for Bleeding Cool have come out of relationships with, you know, various comic creators? Oh, well, I wouldn't have any stories. I mean, I, just simple, that's the big thing. I mean, I get, I, I get stories. I have to get these stories from somehow. Mm-hmm. And you generally people who want, you know, people, more people talk about their stuff or what they're doing, or but they're frustrated by the PR system of the companies they work for, mm-hmm. or you know they 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 know something terrible, yeah, which has to get out there, and there's no other way, and they can't be associated with it. Mm-hmm. And so there are certainly, I mean, I look at, again, you look at big stories. I would say something like the um, the Eddie Baganza story, which kind of first broke out on Bleeding Cool before it then went all Buzzfeedy. That was relating to what sexual harassment, right? At DC, yes, and there was a 
there was a certain incident that, that occurred in the hotel lobby at WonderCon, mm. uh, which I then woke up in the morning to about uh, eight people emailing me saying, no one else is going to tell you this, Richard, but last night. So th- those, those kind of, but you have to have those relationships first. So um, it's often down to honesty and it's almost like the, it's the old frog and the scorpion thing. Um, you can always trust me to be me. Mm-hmm. if you know what I mean so a lot of people will put their trust in me and they'll tell me things on the basis that I won't tell anybody else because and then that, that's absolutely true but they will also they also know that if ever anything comes down against them in such a serious way mm-hmm. that that friendship won't, won't get in the way I'll run the story anyway yeah so because I'll do that to them that means I, I'll, I will kind of trust with in that way because I'll do it to anybody I won't let uh, friend or favour uh, affects whether or not I'll run, this, I'll run a story if it needs to be told. Which is probably better than a lot of journalists do these days. You know, you're like, I won't let my personal feelings get in the way of a, a story, you know? I have, well, I don't really take the the, uh, the, the journalist tag because of that kind of thing. But yeah. no, there are, there are friends of mine who I have completely screwed over on Bleeding Core. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, mean, I mean, I stab them in the front, they know it's coming. Yeah. And, have com- and they've had a chance to, like, you know, comment or whatever, uh, or maybe point out maybe i might want to take this into consideration which i will mm-hmm. i'll always talk to these people but yeah uh it, it, yeah that that if whether you give me a story or not whether you've been a friend it's still gonna go it's still gonna be a bleeding cool story at some point so yeah so that, that includes you as well but that includes you as well but i'm sorry but if i find out that you've not you've, you've not been paying your your staff or what you've been doing i'm sorry but i'll be running that story i sorry. i i i shave my kids heads recreationally including my daughters and they don't like it and i'll just put that out on front street right now you don't have to run anything i've already admitted to it that's fair enough <laughs> yeah okay i could run that <laughs> damn it you're about you know news and rumors and uh some might say gossip uh for the comic book space oh, I, would, I would gossip i would say gossip yes there are other sites like yours, uh, like the one that comes to mind for me because I just left the uh, television industry is uh, FTV Live. Okay. They basically, they're bleeding cool for uh, local television, uh, you know, where people send in like memos and like they'll post clips and all that stuff. Do you commiserate with people like that? Uh, other people in other uh, genres? Sometimes it's mostly people on my side. There's, um, uh, I know the people who um, do Pop Bitch in the UK mm-hmm. and I know the people who do the Guido Fox site politics in the uk so i kind of know there's and we will hang out occasionally and yes we will swap various stories from from separate industries that kind of stuff but it generally has to involve alcohol at some point that's the kind of evening let's let's just sit down and just put the world world to rights that kind of thing and share stories so it's more of a one-on-one thing rather than an, on, an online thing you mentioned uh, what was a guido fox I, I think don't you do like some editorial cartoons you know fox i do a yeah, I do a political cartoon every Monday for Guido Fawkes, which is how I know those guys. And I'll be, they've got a Christmas dinner coming up soon, which I'll be going to, which should be, which should be quite entertaining. And that's when those kind of stories come out. But I know them through uh, Pop Bitch, again, which is someone I also used to do a little bit of writing for, um, and a bit of editing, editing for years ago. So, but that, again, it's all part of the same kind of sensibility of um, trying to find those hidden stories. It must be nice to kind of get in a room with people, have some drinks and just kind of talk shop. Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very specific kind of thing that you do. I think it's probably a little bit more of a British thing. Um, there's more example of that kind of writing in Britain than there is in America. It's much more of a standard here. So that's why I kind of gravitated towards it, because there's just so much more of it here. Yeah. What, what's the big one over there? Is it uh, page six? That's, that's New-, New York, isn't it? Uh, 
Yeah. I'm trying to think of what, what, what I'm thinking of. Well, I mean, the tabloids, there's things like the, the bizarre column in the mirror, uh, but the, the, things like the, the Guardian, there's the, uh, they've also the Guardian diary. The, these things do exist and they run in either as columns within papers or magazines or in their very own, uh, their, their own actual thing. I mean, as I mentioned pop pitch, that's one of the bigger ones mm-hmm. online. And it's had various other competitors, things like Holy Moly over here. So they, 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 they do exist. Again, there seem to be a bit more prevalence here. I certainly used to read them. Oh, there's, I mean, there's magazines, things like Private Eye. I don't know if you know that at all. I'm not familiar with it. I have a copy here of the, of the British magazine Private Eye, which is great cartoons and political um, uh, satire, and also just taking finding hidden stories this about politics and media mostly it looks there like it's kind of a comic book on the cover is that what they do they kind of put like cartoon balloons on no. photos or yeah, well on the cover there would generally be a photo with a cartoon balloon and it would be um take the take the piss out of something that will have happened that week but mostly it's mostly it's, it's like text it's full text kind of stuff but this has been running since the 60s in the uk like really old-fashioned stuff but it's looking at um what's been going on so but this is um i mean this is a very popular magazine in the uk it's and it's been running since the 60s since the the british satire boom then and that's the kind of stuff that i would have grown up reading and wondered why this wasn't happening in comics i mean i say that because i've now gone back to some of the fanzines of the uh, 60s and 70s and found that actually no there were it was these kind of things. I hadn't read the comics reader, things like that back in the day, mm-hmm. but I basically found um, that was exactly what was being done when I managed to find some old issues and it's been written by um, this guy called um, Paul Levitt. Now, I have no idea what happened to him. <laughs> he would be reporting all these gossipy things that he'd heard about a uh, comic book creator leaving this title, joining another yeah. title, a book being cancelled or not. And I was looking back and thinking, damn, <laughs> he used to give me so much grief as well back in the day. So much but he was doing exactly what i was doing next time you go to a convention with him you should just take some copies of those and be like hey can you sign this for me <laughs> absolutely but i would recommend if anyone can, can find copies of these uh, please please do um in some old bins somewhere but they're much more prevalent in the u.s i'm sure than they are over here if you can find copies of the comics reader from back then please and, and if you find any entertaining columns saying something was happening either either did or didn't happen subsequently please let me know because i'd love to know so so what is what do you think is going to be the biggest story in comic books in the next year or so. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, okay, listen. It, okay, let's look it through. For things like the for the Marvels and DCs, I think DC's five G will be a big thing. They're getting rid of all the main characters and the titles and replacing them with with re- new replacements, but not the ones one, one might have expected. That'll be a big thing for DC, I'm sure. Marvel, well, I guess we're going to find out with incoming. They've got all sorts of interesting storylines. They're going to start uh, trial ballooning from there. I think Al Ewing is being used as a lead for a lot of that stuff. is going to be very interesting. So I want to see what, what he's going to do. Things like the Master Raider, all that kind of stuff. I want to see how that's going to grow. I want to see how the Hox Pox books continue and grow. That Certainly the Jonathan Hickman had a massive impact on Marvel this year. Um, him and, and Al Ewing have done stuff for Marvel that I don't think people have seen so i'd like to see how that will progress but aside from that um i think it's gonna be the continual growth of the all ages market uh, in bookstores and book fairs that's i think we've just started there and i don't think anyone a lot of people have really cottoned on to how big that is and how that's going to be and we're going to see publishers changing their uh, outputs to match that we started seeing that with the, the dc uh, ink and zoom titles and i know marvel are doing a deal with scholastic um so we're going to see more in that degree um 
other things. Uh, let me think. Well, the, those those was what I would say what would be, would be the biggest stories at the moment. Let, so. let me throw out so uh, an idea I see floated around a lot online. Let me let me get your take on it. Do you think that the the comic book and superhero movies are killing the the print business, the the book business? Um, no. Um, I think there's lots of other things which are killing the print business, um, but not specifically Marvel movies or so. I mean, there's a few people who might have. They, they, long, they were just superhero fans. Now they can get a better visceral hit from a movie or a TV show than from a comic book. Mm-hmm. But, no, I don't think they're kidding. I don't think they're helping. That's one of the things. You don't really get much traffic that comes into comic stores based on the movies. Yeah. That, doesn't, that does not happen a lot. You, you do get it when you have um, very kind of self-contained movies uh, or self-contained comic books that they're based on. So things like Scott Pilgrim. Um, and books like Hellboy and mm-hmm. indeed Watchmen they did very well for the movies and the TV shows but uh, the other other um, not so much I think it's, it's like we've always had TV we've always had movies and we've had comics uh, it's what's what's really killing comics I think is the internet because there's much more fun things to do and for some people and they're not going to have time to read because they've got more time to scroll so I think you basically just see and that's happening to all media all media is getting squeezed comics is also getting squeezed maybe comics is less able to um, uh, survive or react to that kind of squeezing. But I mean, that, that'd be one interpretation. You could also look at maybe the, the market's just changing. I mean, certainly, I mentioned before, the all-ages market has been expanding rapidly for comics and the uh, YA graphic novels as well um, start to jump onto the, um, the bestseller lists in the USA Today, bestseller lists, that kind of thing. So um, maybe we, we're just going through another change. Comics always goes through changes. It hasn't been killed off um, despite a number of people's real, what seemed like attempts to do so. Are, are you familiar with uh, with Scott McCloud's idea of the infinite canvas and how you know, online and computers could be used to to kind of revolutionize the, the medium? Yeah, I, I see that. I see some good examples of that as well. I mean, I look at things like, um, well, the Webtoons thing. Also, the kind of the additional comics the, that um, Alex DeCampi uh, pioneered with Valentine, where it's got all about like, you see each panel is just like a layer upon a previous panel and that kind of thing. So there are a lot of ideas there. They just have to be used well for storytelling. So you're going to need the people who can tell stories. You can use this, these, these kind of different canvases to uh, tell different stories. And yes, the infinite canvas is a great way of doing that. Just have one page that scrolls in whichever direction you want, you wish to go. What's your opinion on motion comics, where they just basically animate the standard comic book panels? Well, it's, not, it's animation. It's a cartoon. And that's okay. I like cartoons as well. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just a quite limited cartoon. But um, it's, it, again, it's one way of getting them into the different people's eyes. Is very good for YouTube, for example. So um, there are audiences that could be tackled in that in that way. It's just an, it's, it's it's another it's another thing. But you have to have the comic to start with. So you know that means it's not that's not that's not going anywhere. But I don't think it's a threat. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and take it back uh, and close it up here with a little bit more about Bleeding Cool. So, you know, it, what was it? About 10 years ago you started Bleeding Cool, I think? 10 years, yeah, 10, 10 years ago, uh, yeah, about, I think it's something like June uh, 29. So, yes, 10 years. Okay, so say say a magic genie appears before you and they're like, okay, the past 10 years are gone. You basically get... Uh, rebirthed uh you know where they cut out 10 years of your life and you have to start bleeding cool over again today is there anything you would do differently well there's certain stories i wouldn't run because they didn't turn out to be true but that kind of thing but no um but if we were doing it today in, in, in 2019 oh no I've, i have no idea um i, I can't I, it, what bleeding cool is now is kind of what it's always been it's not that much of a changing beast it runs 
the kind of stories that it runs, it has certain obsessions. So no, I, I, I can't really see how I would do it any differently, apart from very specific examples of things where I thought, no, I did that wrong. <laughs> well, I, let, let me uh, try and put it a different way. If, if someone out there was wanting to get together a site like Bleeding Cool about a different genre, obviously, not comic book uh, gossip and rumors, but, you know, if they wanted to reality TV gossip and rumors or, or whatever, what advice would you give to them about, you know, starting up a business like that today, a blog like that today? Um, well, good luck. <laughs> no, it, I mean, the thing is, it's, 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 it's possible. It's, it's, not, it's not as hard. You just have to work and you have to do hard work. It means putting in the, it absolutely means putting in the hours and ridiculous hours. It means seven days a week, uh, 365 days a year, no Christmas, no holidays. Um, it's that kind of commitment you have to have. Otherwise, it, doesn't, it does not work. Um, or it falls apart or people drop off. You have to have, you have to feed the beast. If you do that kind of thing, you have an audience, you have to feed them. You have to give them what they want or give them what they need or direct them to what they need. And you can't let them go. You don't never, never, ever treat them for granted. Don't expect just because they were there for you on Friday night, they'll still be there for you on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is about pure graft. And a lot of that, I don't think that always will come across because you don't see how it's being made. Hey, hey how, how do you sort of push yourself? like that how, how do you keep going you know to to it, with, with that passion and everything oh i don't know Protestant work ethic don't know um it's <laughs> um well i think it's something I'll, okay i feel what it is a lot of it is it's something i've always liked and i haven't stopped liking comics and comics culture um that's probably and i don't know why i still like it because i mean surely by now i should have i should be jaded by the whole thing but i'm not and i don't i don't know why and i don't know how to to teach that to anybody else, I guess it, you know, it's, but it's something to watch for, I guess. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but if it does, I'll get quite worried because then I don't think I can really fake doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. If, if the passion's not there, then the content's not going to be there. And then the audience is going to go away and you're, you're down the hole. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Rich, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a, a great, great conversation. Where can people, obviously they can go to bleedingcool.com. Uh, to- thank you. <laughs> Cool.com. They can follow Bleeding Cool at Bleeding Cool on Twitter. They can follow Bleeding Cool on Instagram. They can go to the Bleeding Cool Facebook page. All this stuff is out there and they're doing their things. I guess you could wish you could. Um, there's, a, like, there's a daily thing called the Daily Line in the Gutters, which still runs on Bleeding Cool, which has the, all the stories from yesterday, all the most read stories from yesterday, and the birthdays from today and the events from today. And that runs, that's an emailing list that goes out every morning. I'm trying to think what else. There's, there's a few other little bits and pieces like that, but um, yeah, it, it, it keeps going. And you never know what the next big stories are going to be. That's the, the nice thing. It's always nice thing to just come along and just find out because it's always, uh, that's the thing. It's good to know this stuff before everybody else does. Sometimes before the people the stories are actually about, <laughs> which does, does happen. So yeah, the, oh, the amount of people I've had Rich, I didn't know I was fired off my book until you told me. He's like, oh. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not the greatest feeling, but you know. Uh, hey. I didn't want you to find out this way. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have your own big idea you've made a reality, we want to hear about it. Let us know by emailing I made this at doanything.media. We'd love to share your project. Or maybe even talk to you about it. You can follow the show at I Made This Show, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Again, that's at I Made This Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or on our website, I Made This. Again, that's I Made This. Media. 
And if you do subscribe, make sure you leave a review so we can shout you out on the show. I'm Bill Meeks. Thanks for listening.